Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com i mean no one plans to get sick and yet here we are my name is matthew zachary a quarter century ago i was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer for more than 15 years i've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare and i'm just getting warmed up so let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what we're all out of patience hey that's the name of the show hey guys welcome back to out of patience you know we only have our experiences to drive how we want to share what happens to us to other people in the hopes of helping them, inspiring them, and doing some good in the world. And that's where my guest comes in today. Amelia Randolph Campbell is a speaker, a coach, a soon-to-be author, an extraordinary interpreter of human nature and human behavior. I will leave you with this teaser before we get to the show. There's a difference between what happens to us, for us, and by us, and that's reflected in whether we try to take control and react or be in charge and respond. Here we go, Amelia Randolph Campbell. Enjoy the show. Amelia, thank you so much for coming here on Out of Patience and, and bearing the hot seat. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. So my first question is, Santa Fe, New Mexico, born and raised to a small college in upstate New York in New England? New England. Culture shock? Definitely culture shock. That's like going from the moon to Florida, maybe not Florida, <laughs> the moon to God knows where. That's a heavy transition. Well, what's funny, I think the culture shock was much more from my fellow classmates about me because I always was going to Virginia growing up. My grandmother lived there. So I traveled to the East Coast quite a bit and New England to New York, Chicago, I was always traveling around. So you were always predisposed to being East Coast bound anyway. Yep. In fact, just right away, by the time I was five, I was declaring I was going to move to New York to be an actress. Okay, destination, success. Correct. Correct. So, but what I found when I got to school, people were very, this actually happens all around the country about New Mexico. It's the state that falls out of people's brains. Well, it's the fourth state and four corners that everyone forgets. Correct. It's the state everyone forgets in general. We have <laughs> jokes about it. We there's a in the gift shops in Santa Fe, there is a New Mexico passport that we've made that has our flag on it. Because when the Olympics were in Atlanta, there was a New Mexican who called in for tickets 
And the U.S. ticket seller there told that person that they needed to get some sort of letter from their government, from their consulate to get tickets from out of country because of and it was New a, Mexico. Yes, because people some other country we hadn't heard of yet. I don't know. They don't hear the new. I don't know what happens, but it happens constantly. It's happened to me in Arizona. And so it's very much like, oh, you must be very cold, you know, because it's cold in New England. And I'm like, well, I grew up skiing because Santa Fe has mountains. That's true. People forget that New Mexico is a strikingly diverse climate. It really is. But, you know, we get tied in with Texas and Arizona as just this hot, dry place that is hard to get water in, which that is kind of true. But (laughs) anyway, I grew to be amused by it. At first, it really annoyed me. But now I think it's just funny. It's like the geographic histrionics of how much do you know about this country? Right. It's true. It's true. So it's like a lot of my fellow students in New England, they hadn't really left New England very much. Most people were from New England who went to the school. But to your point about culture shock, I think it was more shocking to have like a New Mexican at this school. Right. People were literally like, why did you come here? Right. <laughs> yeah. So all of your East Coast wish list stuff happening in your childhood manifested here at this university. You have no accent, which is theatrical and intentional, I'm sure, with lots of training. But what's the y'all of New Mexico? Mm, it sounds it's more of a, like a Hispanic based accent. Okay. That's exaggerated. Were you oh, always... you know when you can hear it is in Breaking Bad. Ah. Okay, finally, that show put our state on the map. You felt seen. Maybe not in the best light, but it put our state <laughs> on the map. <laughs> it's an overrun. <laughs> it's an overrun. Totally. <laughs> My God, when Breaking Bad is the thing you're proud of being associated with, fair enough. It is a very good show. So we're going to get to this later in the show, but you are a speaker and a coach, but do you identify as an actor, a person of the stage, someone who craves an audience? I used to crave an audience. At this point, what I really crave is to serve by creating change and lighting people up to see what they're capable of. Nothing makes me happier. And I think that this is what turned me on to acting in the first place, my affinity for the study of how people work and the ability to transform within a story and the ability to affect transformation and cause a feeling in someone else, which is what you're doing from the stage and what you're doing with your fellow characters in a story and allow yourself to be changed. It's a whole experience. I think just being able to be more alive, if we can be as alive as we can be, I think we're happiest. So I find myself right now at a perfect storm of life because there were all these decades of acting. Then I headed into sales and leadership training and coaching because I wanted to... Wait, what kind of sales? Sales. I was in skincare and beauty sales. Okay. Also health supplement sales. Things I thought I would never do. I was allergic to sales. Like I refused to be a Girl Scout because I was like, the idea of selling cookies to people I knew literally mortified me. Were you mortified because of this? I don't want to be told no. I hate rejection. Rejection was fine because... Hence, acting, I have no trouble with rejection. I just didn't want to ask people that I knew for something, basically for money. I didn't I didn't want to do that. But they're delicious. They are delicious. Yeah. Right. So when you get behind- You can't say no to Samoas. Right. When you get behind the fact of what you're offering being so beneficial, then you can forget about the rest. But anyway, I found I wanted to create a lot of financial leverage. I do not believe in the starving artist modality. 
and I was on the path to starting a family. And I really just wanted something I could leverage. I love the idea of building something larger than just an hourly wage. So have you become a student of yourself? Yes. I love personal growth. I don't want to say personal development because nobody wants to hear the words personal development. Just kind of like people are tired of the words authenticity, too. They're just like, yeah, it's like personal improvement plans for your life. Ten right. healthy habits to not be an asshole. <laughs> right. We don't need that. Right. Maybe we do. Right. But like I love personal growth and I couldn't get enough of it. And I think that is what helped me get behind being in sales and actually what made me very good at it. And then I started sales coaching teams and I started speaking at our leadership conferences. And what I really loved speaking about was the way you need to develop personally in order to be actually good at sales, which is when you're really good at sales, what you're only doing is service. Right. So I want to go back to what I think is the root theme of this entire show, which is a combination of worthiness and theatrics. Because I like to believe that theatrics is the root of all influence in civilization, because it's all about how you project yourself to manipulate other people's psychology so they do things ideally for good in the world and you're helping them. More clearly, we know firsthand you can do that for lots of lots of bad things. But sales is the root of theatrics. Dale Carnegie, right? Right. Has that helped you? It has helped me. I wasn't consciously like applying theatrics to sales, but I know that it it was working. Like the the abilities behind acting, which is inherently knowing how to connect, inherently knowing how to listen and illustrate what's good that it, that is in front of this person and kind of get them to engage with you. Where it really came to pass where I'm at this great melting pot of my whole life is that once I started speaking at these conferences, which I loved because all of a sudden I was like back on stage and I yeah, had since had- you have your audience applauding for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had since had, you know, two small people that completely- Busted my life open in different ways and new challenges. They never applaud you, by the way. No. Mine don't either. So Nope. But uh, they do a lot of other things. Yes. <laughs> Again, over-unders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, people started telling me, you know, you should speak more. And then, of course, as that started coming into my aura, when you're ready, the teacher will appear. And then mm. the very right teacher came into my life beautifully through some key other mentors. They were working with her already. And I was like, that's a sign. That's a sign. It was such a clear arrow, like go this way. And then in, in working with this woman, Trisha Brooke. Shout out to Trish. Shout out, shout out. She's the best. Friend of the show for the listeners. But in her first program, that's where I found the idea of approaching personal growth through this very specific way of thinking that an actor has. So I want to put this to the framework of my universe, which is people being able to tell their story versus storytelling. Because mm. I'd like to think there are two very differentiated interpretations of the same idea. But storytelling has to be thought of as an art form, which is theatrics, the theme of the show. And I mean, one of my favorite comedians, Eddie Izzard, talked about how it's 80 percent how you look and then maybe 10 percent how you say it and 5% what you say that math didn't work out. But the general gist <laughs> is it's all about the theatrics. Where does that factor into how you want to give off a message to your audience? Certainly there's theatrics to theater and acting, obviously, that are putting something on that's not real, 
right? Right. But I'm in love with approaching it, like really putting focus on the other side of it, which is actually truth telling. And you're actually dropping facade and you're really entering into this is probably for more dramatic parts and more serious parts, but you're really entering into a state where you have to be completely bare and true in a scenario. Well, it's and, so easy to just see through the facade authentic. And there's right? that word we don't want to use work. anymore, but still, mm-hmm. you have to be authentic. Right. So uh, help me unpack as you rose up through this, this leadership ranking and started talking to more crowds and inspiring more people. Uh, did you encounter individuals who maybe didn't have a congenital sense of moxie who needed to find the capacity to have that confidence, you know, the proverbial chrysalis into a butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. Many, many people wanted a good business. They wanted certain things. And that confidence was lacking. You can't just get confidence, right? You can't just say, I'm going to be confident. You have to create the environment inside yourself where then confidence is possible. And there's so many different steps to that. I really love helping people connect to themselves in the first place, which is not happening, surprisingly, you know, a lot of the time. I think there's so many external stimuli occurring and we, we're in reaction mode. We're letting our environment often set our focal tone and our emotional tone. It's harder than ever to maintain a sense of proactivity when you're so busy being reactive to things that you shouldn't be bothered by. Yep. So... I talk a lot about habit, like habitual thinking. I'm obsessed with mindset and the fact that we're in charge of our mindset. We're in charge of really everything in terms of what we're thinking and feeling. But there's so much coming at us all the time. And you don't necessarily realize how it's affecting you. You just, oh, you get up and you turn the TV on and you're watching the news and the news does a very specific thing to you and then you react a certain way. And it creates an environment inside you that may not be very helpful and is creating thought patterns and emotional patterns. And you go in scroll mode and you don't really, you don't know what you're going to see, but you're taking in all of it. And Oh, the algorithm knows what you're going to see. Well, yeah, actually, that's true. Feed the beast. Right. But it's as if the goal of so many things is to either annoy you or put you on guard, mm-hmm. certainly put you on guard, put you on the defense, get you to get so messed up that you just are looking to self-soothe and often in unhealthy ways, you know, it's almost as if it's needed for us to be distracted from being in touch with our own powers and our own minds. This is a deep philosophical conversation. All right, we're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back with Amelia Randolph Campbell. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, Amelia, someone recommends that I talk to you about something that I need support with. What are some of the things that people who come to you are seeking help for? Often they want to feel better about their life. So I go to work on minutiae points of thinking. Uh, I work on, on mindset and I also work in tactile ways with their emotions. An example of one of the mindset issues that I work on is kind of creating hacks in the mind. And this is where thinking like an actor really helps because I take this issue that I see so much in myself and then in other people of reacting to circumstances and when I realized this for myself, it was it was an amazing aha. And I said, oh, are there other shortcuts like this? So in real life, if we're seeing things that are happening, right, we're reacting to circumstances and we say a bad circumstance happens or a string of them. And we're very judgmental about our circumstances, you know, and we think mostly that they're happening to us. There's also a decision to decide that things are happening for us and have faith and imagination in that. But you know, these things are happening to me. What our default mode is in real life is to say, that thing needs to change before I can feel differently about it. And if you think about it, this happens all the time, right? This is our default mode. And the gift of the way an actor thinks, you know, an actor is given a story and it's a set one. Like you're really, you're not going to- There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yes. And also it's been given to you by a playwright who cares very much about what that story is. Mm -hmm. There's lots of scripts that are very malleable, right? But right. say it's the one that like it's the playwright, you can't change it. So the actor gets this gift of like, they don't get to even focus on that. So they don't. They get to just jump over that part and their entire focus goes only to not changing the thing that happens, but changing the way they feel about it from the inside out and how they can become within that circumstance. They don't try to change the circumstance. They're becoming this person who is full of imagination and curiosity in the face of a circumstance instead of just looking at it and judging it and getting, you know, shut down by it or offended by it. At the core of all that is the decision to drop one of our most limiting habits, which is judgment. I've heard this before and I didn't participate in it, but it was something that we were tangentially involved with as a support mechanism when I was running the nonprofit Stupid Cancer, which is this idea of, of intentional role-playing, where not everyone's an actor, but the idea of taking yourself out of your own reality, which can be obviously life-threatening and stressful and absolutely beyond bonkers and crazy, into a space where you can visualize what your life would be like, but then use the capacity for that as a therapy tool to recognize that you can balance things when there's utter chaos. Is that something that I, those Absolutely. words make sense? Absolutely, okay. yes, yes. It's the ability to imagine outside of, of your circumstance. 
you know, if you're being crushed by a circumstance or an emotion and you just can't get out of it and you really want to, it's very hard to just tell yourself, get out of this. Like words don't teach, but experience does. And I think that experience, if you can give yourself the experience of a changed emotion or a changed state or be able to experience as much as possible someone else's, it creates relief and what's so much more beneficial for you to think and feel or just just a moment of rest you know can of what rest, what, what's, rest. The, what's that word <laughs> what's Spell that, that word? <laughs> i used to never do that rest this notion of taking a moment is so antithetical to our frenetic lifestyles right these days They're, like you said this endless barbarment of reasons to doom scroll and react right. to everything right i want to get to the psychology of stage fright Okay. Because the biggest fear in humanity is stage fright, getting up in front of an audience. But you're talking about a way to consider yourself the audience, right? Is, is that fair? Mm-hmm. So talk to us about what that discipline really looks like. Yeah, it's the ability to speak to yourself and influence yourself as if, you know, you're trying to influence an audience. It's almost as if you're creating a, a back and forth with yourself that is for good. It's creating better self-talk. It's opening doors for a much more imaginative conversation. In an ideal setting, you know, bad things happen to good people. No one asks for these things to happen to them. And in the advocate world, we say, you know, try to find an anchor in a sea of chaos. And it's it's not so easy to snap your fingers and find a support group or discover a nonprofit organization or hope your hospital has all the things that they're supposed to tell you. And the introspection required is difficult because everything's Charlie Brown teacher. Your neuroendocrine system is going flying off the hook. And all you have is your story that's happening in real time. And that usually translates in a way to how do I channel this story to some kind of guided handrail while the world is burning for me? Mm -hmm, Certainly. So this is interesting. I was writing some about this uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I think Certainly, it's it's bringing it up around the word hope, especially with your story and everybody that encounters cancer, as well as any other super difficult challenge where your world just seems to be crumbling and flashing in front of your eyes. And I was up for this TED Talk, and the subject is literally, you tell us what your recipe for hope is. The first part is surrender, which is... There's nothing to do right now, right? There's only crazy pain and and you're snowed by this circumstance. In surrender is rest. It's not doing anything. It's also a willingness to just be right there. Right. After that, it's focus. If you really surrender and center and just be still, from there you're able to choose much more where your focus goes. When you realize that you have no control over any one particular situation, does that actually put you in control of the situation you have no control over? Well, I think it puts you in charge. And I think I also study a lot between the words control and charge. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, tell me more. I want to know. Yeah. So I think we're obsessed with the word control, uh, especially I think in this country and in general. It's like in control and control, control your schedule, control that's there's an energy behind that word that you can just feel right now. But if you're in control, it's very brittle. And there also there's no such thing. 
And the effort to control something completely shuts you off. It actually takes all of your power away. Mm-hmm. If you're in control, if you're trying to be in control, you're going to react. But if you are solidly in charge, you're going to be able to respond. Ooh, wait, I'm taking notes. I like that. <laughs> Reacting versus responding. Ooh. Yeah. You are every bit deserving of coming in this chair and educating oh, me. Dear I'm, sir, I'm very thank serious. You. I'm very honored these by are, that. These are phenomenal takeaways. Thank you. You should write a book. Oh, wait, you are. <laughs> oh, I am. All right. So I want to just wrap with that choice because, you know, it's so easy to say, I'm going to write a book. It but is you have so much to offer and you've done so much with your life. What are you hoping to accomplish by having a book? Everything I care about writing seems so extensive. Really, it's like the unpacking of the whole purpose of being a human and, and how we can best human. And there's so many facets to that. I would love to read a book about it, so I want to write one. And I want to make it a body of work. And I am making a body of work. It comes out in smaller ways. It comes out in specific talks. It comes out in the way I'm forming my courses. But the book catches all of it. I want one place where you can really just cozy up and take in the methodology. And also writing the book will help me articulate much more what it is. I know that there's more of it than I am to realize, and the writing of the book will help with that. Well, I think between training for a TED Talk and writing a book, you're in an extraordinary position to explode all this wisdom. You've watched me take these furious notes while we're talking because <laughs> yeah. that's exciting stuff. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Amelia Randolph Campbell, speaker, coach, author, West Coast expatriate for all the right reasons. You are online at AmeliaRandolphCampbell.com. Indeed. Any final thoughts? I do have a final thought, which is the third and last part to my recipe of hope, which is surrender, focus. And then the third one is the willingness to befriend change. Well, the only thing constant is change. Yeah. So All right. Better be friends. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Amelia Randolph Campbell. Thank you, good sir. It's an honor. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>